And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital, like Antoine when he Welcome to Anything is Potable! Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, El Nino, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen, and he is coming to you live from a, I guess, noisy and beepy State Farm Arena down in Atlanta after the Celtics take down the Hawks 129-121 in Game 4 of their series to take a 3-1 lead. Jay, the Celtics led pretty much from the 8-minute mark of the first quarter on, but it was a close game, and every time the Hawks made a run, the Celtics seemingly had an answer. Uh, A lot more defensive intensity tonight, a lot more of the two-big lineup tonight, and I don't know if you heard this, but during the game, Jalen Brown removed his mask and then became a whole lot better at basketball. I mean, if that's not the biggest takeaway in the world, I don't, I don't like that's not what you're writing about tonight. I'm going to be shocked, Jay. But you tell me, you tell me what stood out to you. That, that is, that is not what I'm writing about. But someone did ask um, Marcus Smart where he was when Jalen Brown took off his mask. Like it was, it was a some huge <laughs> defined like, our generation, like Jay mo- moment in in society. Never mind Game Four itself. Uh, he was bad so, beforehand, and then he finished the game with 31 points and suddenly developed an ability to drive to the The mask hoop. had no buckets in it. <laughs> it did not. Uh, but this, but it, it had a lot of buckets in it beforehand, <laughs> just not tonight. That's fair. Ran out of buckets. Uh, on on April 23rd, though, it, had ze- it, it r- ran out of buckets. Uh, but the Celtics had plenty of buckets uh, left in them. They shot 52% <laughs> from the field in this game, 40% from three. Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown combined for 28 points in the fourth quarter. They just kept the Hawks within, you know, that I think the closest the Hawks got was five points. Uh, and the Celtics just kept. No, they got to two. Ooh, no, three. Got to two. Bogdanovich to hit the three late in the third to get to cut it to three. And then Marcus drove by him for a dunk oh, to yeah. push it back to five. Um, but yeah, it, it's funny though. Like the offensive numbers looked so good. You rattle them off, and it's like 52%, 40% from three, 25 free throw attempts, 25 assists, only, uh, I guess, six, not only, 16 turnovers. But it's just, it wasn't a crisp game from the Celtics offense. It didn't feel like that. Um, like, there were stretches where it was just not a lot of passes, kind of ISO heavy, but not like stagnant ISO, just like early try to do it yourself iso it didn't feel like 
they were totally committed to finding open guys sometimes um, and st- to still have 129 points with 52% shooting is kind of ridiculous. So I don't know how to merge those two thoughts other than the Hawks defense really isn't great. <laughs> and, I think that's part of it. D- did you feel like they were like it was kind of a iffy offensive game for them like it it wasn't crisp it wasn't like drive kick drive kick ball movement galore uh type of uh, offense that i think we've seen earlier in the series but i think they did a much better job of getting into the paint and getting to the rim um 56 points in the paint tonight and i think that's what really drove their offense uh uh, especially in the first quarter and then late I thought Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum just did a good job of, of attacking and staying downhill and really I like I, I agree that it wasn't like the Christmas offense offensive performance I think the biggest adjustment the Celtics made was just really increasing their defensive intensity making things much harder for the Hawks on that end increasing their attention to rebounding and then just the adjustment to play bigger uh i thought was huge tonight rob williams 12 and 15 off the bench um al horford 13 and 15 please give him some respect oh i was looking at his defensive rebounds for some reason yes correct 13 and 15 al horford zero points but at 11 boards i just thought that the celtics were a lot more impactful a lot more physical a lot more intense on the defensive end and Frankly, if DeAndre Hunter doesn't have an insane third quarter, this probably would have been a a, uh, much easier game for them. Um, But DeAndre Hunter did score 10 points on five of six shooting in that third quarter. Um, But otherwise, I thought the Celtics just did just a much better job of making it more difficult on the Hawks getting out in transition and allowing them to get Jalen going, get them going downhill. which I think led to their kind of easier offense and their like trips to the free throw line. Oh yeah, and it was another big Trey Young game too. Especially in the he fourth had, quarter, he was crazy in the fourth quarter. Yeah, but just some of the passing was just—he's a great, great passer, and he helped Hunter get going with some of those passes. Um, there was one especially where it was just kind of a cross court pass to Hunter in the corner. I I think he he Trey had driven and it was like right under the rim it was just such a nice pass he, he really is just a phenomenal passer such a skilled player the celtics like you said I, th- I thought one of the biggest things was just the rebounding piece and it was 55 missed shots for the hawks and 11 offensive rebounds so pretty good defensive rebound rate from boston and a lot of those were like Onyeko Kangwu early in the fourth quarter. That was, I think he had three offensive rebounds. They were all right at the beginning of the fourth quarter. Other than that, they kept him off the glass. So they did a really good job on him other than that one, like, three-minute stretch. And that's what they needed to do. That's what they've emphasized. Joe Mazzulla kind of let Rob know, get a motherfucking rebound. And And he uh, did just that. Rob got a lot of motherfucking rebounds. (laughs) That is, and when he plays like that, there it changes them. And and Joe, I don't, 
I don't know if the cameras picked it up after the game, but before going to the locker room after the game, he went right over to Robert Williams and just like screamed at it, <laughs> screamed in his face. And it, it was it was clear it was like a loving celebratory scream. Um, but he he was amped up to see the way Robert Williams played tonight. After the Celtics thought like they didn't really have the level of physicality necessary in Game Three. Jay, is there a smoke detector uh, in the room you're recording in, or is someone on a ventilator uh, somewhere near you? I think it might be. Uh, so I'm, I'm in like it's tough to find a place to record after the game, and so I am in like the bar area where I I think season ticket holders must come in here, and my guess is that they're probably washing dishes behind me. Oh, okay. Well, that's what you. So did. that. That's probably the dishwasher, but I'm not 100% sure. It could be also a smoke detector. It could be anything. Uh, well, I'm just oblivious. I'm focused solely on our podcast. Locked. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Din, okay, that's fair. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture-themed trophies for six basketball-related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Um, one thing I thought the Celtics did a very good job of was just, I guess, responding to runs and, and playing, I guess, calmly and like getting buckets when they needed to them. At the end of the first half, the Hawks went on a 9-0 run. The Celtics kind of answered with their own 12-4 run. Um, you mentioned that Bogdan Bogdanovich, like three to cut it uh, to three at the end of the third quarter. Smart just completely blows by him with a dunk. And it felt like every time the Hawks became in striking distance, um, the Celtics had an, uh, something for them, whether it was uh, Jason Tatum hitting timely threes, Jalen Brown hitting timely threes, uh, just knocking, like, just continue drive for the rims. I thought Jalen just played a, a phenomenal game in terms of being aggressive. And you talk about making the right rim reads, the multiple possessions, uh, dropping it off to Robert Williams for those easy baskets. Um, yeah, those are huge plays. It just felt like they, I thought their defense, they were like, like, 
despite all the points they gave up in the third quarter, I thought they were like, especially when they had the double big lineups in there. I thought their defense was pretty good in, in terms of like creating uh, tough shots for the other team. Obviously, the scouting report was like, we're going to let DeAndre Hunter shoot open threes, and we're going to live with that, and he happened to knock them down. But I just thought they did a much better job and were seemed very locked in um, with their switching, with um, saw like a cool wrinkle of like the to try and get Al Horford out of the drop, like J, uh, Jalen Brown coming over from the weak side on uh, – kind of pick and rolls, and I thought it was a cool quote that you mentioned, Malcolm Brogdon, talking about how difficult it is to learn the Celtics' defense when they just do a lot of switching that's unspoken, which, I don't know, that just sounded pretty badass to me. But uh, it's it, Yeah, the, un, the unspoken rules. The unspoken rule of switching while playing defense is just, to have it be unspoken is insane. I, yeah, I, I, guess, I guess some of that is kind of crazy. Uh, but also, like if if you kind of know the baseline rules of what you're supposed to be doing, and then you just recognize the situation, I feel like if you're a smart basketball player, you just kind of figure it out. But yeah, for it to sometimes be as unspoken as Malcolm said it is, like high level stuff from the Celtics going on, and I and their defense, I feel like they were locked like, in defensively tonight, especially. Jason Tatum, he had three blocks, and it just felt like he was really making his impact felt, despite struggling early with his shot, um, he just came out locked in on the defensive end. Robert Williams always makes a pretty huge impact on that end of the floor. He was able to play 28 minutes tonight, and I just thought that kind of going to the double bigs just makes the Celtics and having Robert Williams kind of roam out there, especially that block on John Collins late is kind of, evident of what he's able to do of just like he was not the primary defender on that but he timed it perfectly and got the block and I just thought all the Celtics they're just much crisper and a lot more physical a lot more intense on the defensive end and I think it started with Tatum and kind of continued with Robert Williams and Hal Horford in that double big lineup oh, yeah Tatum in the locker room said he was on his D white shit tonight which I appreciated because he had three blocks. Although one of the blocks, he uh, absolutely grabbed their net and to used it to propel himself up, which is generally not allowed. Generally not allowed. Also, not usually allowed is uh, making contact with a referee. Oh, yes. Which DeJounte Murray appeared to do late in the game or after the game. I'm not sure whether it was like the final seconds or after the final buzzer. Uh, that video didn't look great, so... That's something the league will probably look into and could suspend him for. I hope he doesn't get suspended. Uh, it's been kind of fun to see. He's been honestly. He's I been have very. I, good. I have more. I have more respect for this Hawks team now than I did at the beginning of the series because game one, they're down thirty. Don't lay down. Game two, they get down a lot. And then just, like, keep fighting back to eight. Can't get over the hump, but never lay down. Game three, they come out and win. Game four is, like, they really made the Celtics work for this one. <laughs> they they kept scoring. Like you said, the the Celtics defense was, was pretty locked in. It was a pretty good day from the Celtics defense. And still, Atlanta hung 121 points on them. And so... Their offense is pretty good. Okongwu has just been a beast in some moments. 
I thought his foul trouble late was like pretty impactful, just because I think he's a better, more impactful defender and like on offensive glass than Capella at this point. And so him getting picking up those fouls, so many moving screen fouls in this game. Uh, I blame Quinn Snyder for complaining about it before the game because then it just led to like seventeen of those calls during the game. It was just unnecessary. It was they were such weak calls, most of them. Like you don't have to call every fucking moderately not even moderately like barely moving screen it's okay to just let some go guys i was i was i was frustrated with the uh the whistles there um <coughs> oh who's got the cough now buddy i coughed a single time <laughs> let's let's calm down and you know what i'm podcasting through it because i'm a real man what'd you think about marcus smart's performance tonight um on the offensive end, especially like he feels like he's really stepped up his offensive game in the, in this series. He was eight of 14 and Missoula said after the game that like, he's the trigger for their offense in terms of like the pace in terms of getting into early offense. I think he both did a good job of kind of setting players up. Um, It felt like him and Tatum did some, some good work, but then also Marcus just has this kind of uncanny ability to get into the paint and make, floaters and layups and then he had that cool dunk at the end of the third quarter but I just I've I've, one I've been really impressed with Joe Missoula's rotations and just like basically only playing eight guys he tried he tried Muscala for a minute 17 what was up with the Muscala did not work maybe he just wanted some shooting and some size but that was quickly like oh god we do not uh need to do that ever again but he's basically playing seven and seven guys, seven and a half with Sam. Oh, we got to talk about the Muscala thing. Well, a little. <laughs> Tell more. me your thoughts about Muscala. Then. I I had basically the same reaction I did when Brad Stevens decided to start Jail Green in Game Three of the first round against Chicago in 2016. I think I was I was stunned because Grant Williams was pretty good in Game Three. Grant Williams was pretty good, and. Like, I don't know. Mike Muscala got out there. The Hawks immediately created a wide open three by just going at him. Uh, they created possession. three wide open looks on the three possessions he was doing. He, he was on the court for one minute, 17 seconds. And every time they were able to get exactly what they wanted. And the Celtics kind of lucked out a little bit that the Hawks weren't even more successful than they were during that stint. But. <laughs> at least Missoula quickly realized like nope sorry that was the wrong card to pull right there but other than that and I he has to get credit for realizing it was a mistake I think his rotations <laughs> but it was an insane move that was an insane <laughs> you move. gotta try something you had to try something there yeah and like like I said Grant Williams was legitimately good in in game three he took a charge like did a lot of Little things had fourteen points. I don't think he missed a three pointer. <laughs> like to, to he was probably. I mean, he would never say it because he's a very good teammate, very, very. Like puts puts the team in front of himself, but he was probably steaming inside when when they gave Mike Muscala. He's the looking call for right that there. elite height. He's not looking for that six eight six nine. No. no. You need a, officially a guy over 6'10 in the game, and it didn't work. But other than that, I feel like Missoula's rotations have been pretty good, especially with the double bigs. 
it feels like there's not there hasn't been a bad lineup out there on the court. Uh, even when like they went four guards and or four wings with Robert Williams, I thought they were effective. Similarly with Al Horford, and then just closing late with the double bigs. I just liked all of the kind of the X's and O's, I guess, or rotation coaching decisions Missoula made tonight, and I feel like he's been pretty good all series with all and with regards to that. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you what, it helps when the guards are playing as well as they have. Derek White has just been awesome in this series, with the exception of Game 3 when he got into early foul trouble. Marcus Smart has been super solid in this series. He, like, just taking what the defense gives him. They went back to the Capella on him thing today, and, like, the Celtics, they they haven't they didn't like stall out their offense looking for anything from that they just kept running their stuff smart was still impactful he had a stretch in the third quarter when the hawks were trying to come back and he just made a whole bunch of plays off the bounce that just really helped to fend off the hawks in that moment um and then malcolm brogdon he just first half especially just got to the rim time after time he had one incredible smoked bunny oh my god one of one the worst of the, smoked bunnies i've ever seen yeah wide open on a fast break bunny and, smoked and then he got like a very tough contested layup the like exact next possession it made no sense yeah and he he's his game is like he's just so strong for a guard he had jalen johnson on him and most guys like most guards when they have a much bigger wing on them. Like Jalen Johnson is a six seven, six eight, maybe even six nine, like physical specimen, like st- big, strong dude. And Malcolm was just kind of like got him into the paint, put his shoulder into him, and just created space for a tough finish. Uh, just the strength that he shows and the the patience sometimes on some of his drives. I thought that was that was really impactful, especially in the the first half. Um, so when when those guards are all good and then you've got Tatum and Brown who are normally like very consistent in providing offense and then Al Horford who's Mr. Consistent and then Robert Williams and that's basically your whole rotation with, except for Sam Hauser who just comes off the bench as a flamethrower. Like that, <laughs> it's, it's hard to go wrong when picking a lineup out of those guys. Honestly, when, when those guards are – are as good as they have been in this series. Yeah, and I it, it just shows the Celtics' depth is a, a major key to what they're going to do uh, during this playoff run. Um, yeah, and the uh, the double big thing that was obviously what they that was a focus for them after they totally went away from it in Game Three. I don't know whether they looked at the tape or just kind of reflected on the game and just thought, "Wow, that was really fucking stupid." Like, I don't know why we didn't play the. <laughs> best defensive duo in the league well do you from think the last that's why the offense what didn't look as crisp just because they just like have less spacing that, out there that, that that probably had part that was probably part of it like there was one play um, where it was like horford got in on the short roll and immediately uh hit robert williams who got the and one which al horford was very pumped about um but like other than that i think it just it makes their offense a little bit there's just so much more less space to operate um, when they do have two bigs out there. Yeah, but I, I I felt like it wasn't really that. Like some of the bad decisions were just like Tatum dribbled into a double team or 
the shot in the first half when Tatum went to the hoop, I think it was like semi-transition, and Al Horford was just spotted up in the corner wide open, and Tatum went to the hoop instead, and O'Connell just punched this shit off the glass. And it, it's funny because Horford never really shows frustration with his teammates, but he was pissed after that one. And he only had, I think, two shot attempts. And, and to me, a lot of the time when Al has low shot attempts, that, like that's a function of the offense, and he gets his shot attempts from the offense being crisp and flowing well, and and that they just didn't always, I thought, make the right reads. And some some of that is just like they felt like they could get to the rim whenever they want, I'm sure, and kind of did, and have for most of the series. But it just felt like there was some decision making, and the 16 turnovers obviously not great. Um, but I, I I'm not sure it was all like just two bigs are out there and so spacing is different it just felt like for a while there the Celtics weren't committed to really finding the the open guy when they on their drives or like they forced some stuff off the dribble it just wasn't wasn't a great offensive game even though the numbers look awesome yeah I do like they did feel like they got Horford more involved in the offense in the fourth quarter but it wasn't like necessarily him shooting it just felt like a lot of more possessions started with him getting the ball at the top of the key and starting kind of just the actions that way they were able to hit Marcus Smart with the backdoor cut because they're just showing Tatum too much attention Um, but I do think they got Horford a little bit more involved in just pulling the big uh, out uh, to the three-point line which maybe allowed Tatum and Brown just more opportunities to drive uh, and get to the rim um with that being said they almost threw the game away in the final seconds with Marcus Smart just like getting rid of uh, or just getting his pocket picked in the backcourt and then just a re- I mean they didn't almost throw the game it away. had it had shades of uh game seven in Miami if that Robert Williams tip doesn't go right to Jalen Brown for that dunk all hell could have broken loose, Jay. All hell could have broken loose. What What was the closest they got? Like eight. Uh, let me check. So Trey Young scored the, the layup that you're play. talking about with well, a minute five left to pull the Hawks within eight, and then like I'm just I'm I am not convinced that that had shades of Miami. It had shades, Jay. It had shades. <laughs> Like maybe the the early stage shades, but it was not like it, it. It never got close. Let's be honest here. Okay, but Robert Williams did do cool shit uh, in terms of <laughs> Robert Williams play. did cool shit. Jalen Brown did cool shit. Jason Tatum did cool shit. They all did a lot of cool shit down the stretch. Uh, all of this is fair. Um. That's pretty much all I got. Oh, I was looking at uh, the second quarter. No wonder I did couldn't come up with the right answer. Fourth quarter play-by-play. Yeah, uh, steal, cut it to eight. Okay, with a minute left. You're probably right, Jay. You're set me straight. But I basically just wanted to highlight. You you, you probably just have a uh, – you're scarred. Yeah, I think the, the, the final moments of Game 7 against the Heat last year are, were some of the most stressful times in my life as a Boston Celtics basketball fan. Um, and I clearly am scarred from that. One thing I thought was very interesting after the game, I don't want to say Tatum is scarred, but Tatum basically answered every single question no. with, 
a reference to like past playoff mistakes and i no, thought it was he, he was he was asked specifically about that stuff okay well he still gave interesting answers about not letting up and like reflected on the mistakes in the series last year of where he felt like the Celtics took their foot off the gas and they really paid for it and i just thought that was like a a good sign of their approach and mentality heading into this series and subsequent games in the playoffs where it's like they've clearly learned, I guess, something from uh, this, the long series, seven-game series last year. And I just thought it was like a – I guess I didn't properly hear the question, but uh, I thought it was cool Tatum was like reflecting on those exact games and where they had fucked up previously and how they need to be better than that moving forward in this series. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the lesson to take from last year. <laughs> like, just – don't don't play with your meat. Don't play with your meat, boys. Don't play with your meat. <laughs> yeah. You can't be playing with your meat. Uh but seriously, like he brought up specifically game 5 against Milwaukee. He brought up specifically game 6 against Miami. And those are two chances for the Celtics to like just make their path easier last year. And so as much as tonight was about yes going up 3-1 Yes, giving themselves a chance to close it out in five. It's also like every game that you have is a chance to make your path easier. And and it feel it felt like they realized that uh Robert Williams called it a must win game, which seemed a little aggressive to me. Nope, must win. I like that I like that mentality. <laughs> he said he was approaching it like a must win game. Uh maybe they should just sell him every game is must win. And then and to get motherfucking rebounds, just tell them that before yeah. every game. <laughs> but, but so, and I, in all fairness, like they kind of relaxed a little bit in game three. It was not a great defensive performance from them then, and so I don't know if they fully learned their lesson. But that loss pissed off Tatum, and I think part of that was because of the thoughts of last year. And what happened last year, and he wants to avoid that this time around. And tonight was it was a good performance. It wasn't a perfect performance, but it was good. They had all the answers, and and they uh, they enjoyed the win. And they got a playoff victory on the road, which is not the easiest thing to do. And they are now up three to one in the series, coming back to Boston on Tuesday to hopefully uh, close out the Atlanta Hawks so they can move on and play the Philadelphia 76ers who are waiting. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more about this game. I'm sure Jay King will watch the film again. Hopefully he'll escape the beeping noise behind him and uh, we'll get to some high quality. I would, I'm going to say tomorrow's podcast is a must-win podcast for both of us. Um. Do you, do you appreciate that Kemba Walker has been in attendance? Yeah, why why is he there? Does he live in Atlanta he now? Lives, he lives in Charlotte, I think, still. He's just like, okay. Which is pretty close. And, uh, yeah, he was at both games. Just just sitting behind the Celtics bench. Smiling, just, giving daps to people. Always, always smiling, giving hugs. Everybody was so excited to see him. They just Everybody loves Kemba. Most beloved man in the NBA. Well, I'm glad he was there. Who's no longer in the NBA, but who was in the NBA? 
hopefully he can make the trip to Boston for Tuesday, although I doubt it. What if they just start bringing him on the team plane and everything, and he just he just kind of latches on? That would be awesome. Every championship team, every championship run needs like a gimmick. Like the Angels had the rally monkey. I like the idea of the rally Kemba. Uh, just the good times, good vibes guy. Just coming. Uh, he's going to wear some ridiculous jackets and just be smiling. And I think that's going to uh, improve everyone's mood. What did you think about Marcus Smart's shirt tonight? His post-game shirt. I didn't even notice. He was wearing two ridiculously patterned shirts that seemed like they were stitched together in the middle. It was absolutely an eyesore, and I cannot believe you didn't notice. Yeah, I'm surprised that I didn't, but I just didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Too locked in on the game, J. King. Too locked in on the game. Um, That's all I got, Jay. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll talk about it more. Uh, We'll maybe talk about game five or preview kind of the differences in schedules where uh, vis-a-vis the Sixers series and uh, maybe talk about all the crazy other basketball that's going around in the league. But that's going to do it for us tonight. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Please rate it five stars, subscribe, do all those things podcast hosts tell us to do, tell you to do, and we'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this episode of As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.